Okay. Why, why not? Why not? Why not? Why can we not have saws and lawyers and people like that in the same room, Allie? <laughs> well, we can. And we did. We did. Last week, we had ourselves a little school battle, per se. At least I thought it was going to be because, you know, we're, we had a, a lawyer mm-hmm. and someone who brings woodworking into schools. And you'd think they'd be like oil and water. Yeah. But it wasn't a battle. It was really actually, I feel like we really learned a lot about some topics that you and I and those listening may not have known on that really powerful episode last week with Patricia and Mike, if you have not listened to it. Yeah. Now here's your sign. Right. Right. It's you know? damn fact. Well, I mean, right. It's, it's, it is, it's shop teacher and lawyer. Right. I mean, and by the way, Michael is not just a shop teacher, but like, you know, like, um that that's what blew my mind is they were both on the same page they they understood um some um really dangers that could happen however they understood the bigger picture especially patricia right i mean that was amazing just hearing her speak like that and and to really say well okay well let's work backwards you know from what are the what are the blockers etc so for for me that was one of the the wildest things i've ever heard and and i think because there's a lot of different things we're kind of taught and or told in teacher school around legalities i'll get to that in a minute but yeah what what were your thoughts uh on the whole thing just you know to start us off here patricia because of her educator background and mm. then going into law gave gives her such a unique perspective and her community and the the places that she's worked um are huge benefactors of her wisdom and knowledge around school policy school legal um stuff and you know it's like i was sitting there listening to her thinking i wish i had known some of this stuff as mm-hmm. an educator back when i got started or i i, I wish you know, feeling like change could happen and, and, and that the red tape really isn't as scary, um, when you have the right things in place. So I really felt that from both Mike and Patricia in their, the different ways they kind of, uh, worked around the, the legal issues that come to them, right. With, with school testing or, you know, where does the funding come from versus how do you get a shop class into uh, an inner city school and and with no quote unquote training, mm-hmm. like the teachers aren't required to have extra training. And so I found all of that really, really interesting, and but also extremely like, like it was like weights taken off of my like educator shoulders it's just feeling like wow these things can happen they mm-hmm. are happening there there are people out there doing this type of work on a large scale it doesn't have to be a large scale but it can grow into that and that's what we have seen from like the top down federal policy level and then mike and maplewood shop from a very grassroots 
you know, singular school pilot program to now over 150 schools international, um, trying to bring this to even more mm -hmm. from a ground up perspective. Right. Um, what I really liked is there was a lot of give and take on both sides, right? Like, um, obviously, you know, there are legalities that certain lawyers would not jump through those hoops. And I'll get to that in a minute. But also like with with Michael and his, the, I, I'm sure, I mean, our, our dream is to have like, let's go full blown shop. Let's teach these kids real skills. I mean, but, you know, that wasn't a possibility with the way that you wanted to scale it. And he figured it out, you know, using the hand tools, putting a desktop kind of thing on there. Um, and I, that's what I liked about it, because I, I think too often in education, we get all or none. Um, and there's not a lot of just real negotiating and keeping the final outcome in mind. Um, and, you know, I, you know, I, I want to go into my, like my, uh, my master's degree where I do have a quote unquote principal license. I call it type 75, I think here in, uh, Illinois. Um, and, you know, where you, you get taught school leadership and administratively, you know, what to do. Um, but have you ever dealt with, um, maybe legalities or lawyers through in your, in your tenure in, in school while you were teaching? Yeah. Yes. Um, for... This is where Ali says, yes, I was handcuffed and I got uh, arrested no. in school for building a bomb. No, I'm just teasing. But like teachers do face um, legal mm -hmm. situations with typically students. Um, so you're if you're not familiar with the educational system, there are what are called IEPs, Individualized mm -hmm. Education Plans, and 504s, which are the legal documents. You have mm -hmm. to follow them as an educator. And sometimes parents and or students don't mm -hmm. feel like that legal document is being held up. And it, it is common if you're in a more litigious uh, district mm -hmm. uh, for parents to exert um their lawyer backgrounds for minor <laughs> things <laughs> this is why i got nervous when patricia came in the room and then i felt fine like <laughs> nothing nothing serious but i mean you know uh and it's very common um at in in school districts for that to happen for lawyers to be present. It's not like a typical, like the, the, if you're listening to this and you're like, Whoa, I've never experienced that. Like right. I was at a school district where that would have never happened because mm -hmm. people just don't bring lawyers to the table. And then there are school districts where people do. it could be the beginning of the year and they're reviewing the IEP and they want a lawyer present, not because anything is wrong, right. but because they want it to be, you know, more clad iron tight, stuff like that. So, um, in that sense, right, the level of detail that educators have to follow for certain students in school districts, there are legal documents that we have to follow beyond just, you know, like general safety stuff. But uh, in terms of doing what's best deemed legally for a student's education. Mm -hmm. uh, so to like Mike and Patricia's different take on, you know, the legal legality side, their work 
is trying to, and, and Mike mentioned this, you know, for neurodivergent learners or, or mm -hmm. learners who maybe don't learn typically, like he had the stats, he had the data to back up this stuff, which is super strategic, 100%, right? Because yeah. if, if you're in a school district that that is the case, all the, all the lawyer people are going to raise their hand and be like, is this safe? Like they have deemed it, you know, as safe as, you know, anything that would require a bandaid. Great. But there are layers to the, the, the legal system that Patricia kind of like got into and like from a very like bird's eye, like this, follow the money. She gave us some really, mm -hmm. really key things on that. But it's also like, follow the priorities of the students and right. the families. And if you get buy-in from, from them, you're going to be more successful in any endeavor and versus not getting that buy-in. And then who knows all of the things that you're going to be fighting against and could pop up. <laughs> so the, the strategy behind Maple Woodshop I, if, if you didn't hear it mm -hmm. in what Mike was describing, he has thought through that right. and kudos to that program because that type of work is needed and they aren't doing it whimsically. They're doing it with this kind of backwards design to get what would be presumed unsafe or not for all learners. And they're mm -hmm. showing, no, look, this is for all learners. This can meet the needs of all these different things and more. Yeah. It's incredible. Very intentional. He's very intentional on, you know, understanding the the school, which is very interesting because his background isn't in education. I thought that was very interesting um, to hear, you know, he was in a, the corporate world and, you know, the spreadsheet world and then um, figured things out um, kind of in an educational sense, which was huge. And that, that was why he was such a wonderful guest. Um and then, you know, as Patricia, you know, you you stated before her um, her educational background, which is so huge, so huge. Um, I just want like I'm just going to put this right in the middle of this podcast for for anybody, boards of education, anybody who is hiring legal teams for your school district. I think that's a key thing people on that legal team need to have been in a classroom and I don't care where in a classroom could have been in an elementary school, middle high school, even post-secondary. It doesn't matter. Like I think that to me is huge. And here's why when I went through my master's uh, you know, I went uh, and like I said, I got a school leadership master's MED or whatever you call it. Um, and I, I remember the law class and I, the, <laughs> The only thing this law professor said in this class was, if you have legal pressure, give in. And I'm like, but wait, like, why? And they're like, it's going to cost the district less money. However, speaking with Patricia, I believe somebody like that is really going to take a look at it, um, whatever that instance could be and really kind of dig into it i feel like in my experiences there are certain law firms out there that are on retainer and they sit at the school and they say just 
give in, give in, give in. It takes them less time, whatever. This is why I'm saying if you have a Patricia, somebody who really understands education, really cares about the outcome and not just the checks coming in, I think that's a big difference. And that's that's what I, I kid you not. My professor was like, just 99% of the time, just go ahead and settle with them. I'm like, wow, no wonder education has gotten a little screwed up. But there are no words for that other than <laughs> Patricia said, you know, teachers are the best advocates. Mm -hmm. They're authentic advocates for change. And I think having the legal system in partnering or working for or working with school districts can have authentic advocacy if they are more aware of the actual school environment, to your point of mm -hmm. having some educational background in there, if you're then going to be a lawyer for a school or work with them, it's yeah. invaluable. You, uh, So let's back this up just a little bit. I kind of said this in the last episode, but it's like Peter and I had been interested in this topic of, you know, like what are some legal red tapes that we just like don't know about mm -hmm. and neither of us knew a, a school lawyer and so i literally started searching and started learning some terminology <laughs> on linkedin and messaged probably about a dozen what people would label themselves as like educational lawyers or mm -hmm. they've worked for a school district and um Patricia was by far a standout, like without a doubt, I knew instantly, but it's like you, you want someone like her in your corner and in the educational field. Like, I wish I had found more Patricia's. My point is that mm -hmm. they like, if they are on LinkedIn, I don't know. I couldn't find you. <laughs> Right. <laughs> or like, I don't know, you're like the titles kind of, you know, get messy because it's not my area of expertise. But if that's not my area of expertise, mm -hmm. right? right? Then if you're a lawyer serving a school district and serving teachers or administration, are you an expert, you know, other than just like, what does the law say? How can you better navigate? Because Patricia said, where there's a will, there's a way. Yes, there are these laws. It seemed like I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not, <laughs> I don't know, but right, there's some gray area there. Once you meet the basic requirements right. that tied with Mike and Maple Woodshop saying getting started was we needed to find the right people, charismatic, innovative leaders wanting something changed mm -hmm. and you have your early adopters like the innovation curve and whatnot i found that super interesting because the way he was able to get around the legal side or potential issues was to find the right people who had the right background who responded to a message or a cold call or you know a, a knock on the school door i don't know yeah but it was strategic and now you're seeing that adoption curve happen because of that early work and basically saying i have a will i know this is really good for kids mm -hmm. and i'm gonna figure out how to get it into schools right 
And I don't like if you remember, I don't I he didn't work with Patricia on his particular. So they're like definitely saying there's there's more Patricia's out there. There's more people who are in that. And, and what I what I'm taking from all of this is, you know, it was quite shocking to have a shop teacher. I, I'm just generally labeling, labeling like shop teacher, which, you know, I don't mean any disrespect, but like somebody who's going to bring power tools into a classroom, even in the elementary school levels um, and a lawyer on the same page. Um, to me, I think we just opened up another area where education could get disrupted. So even if you're like an administrator and you're frustrated, um, you know, especially like a superintendent or a principal, like maybe the first place you do want to look at is your legal team, you know, like maybe you really want to take a look at, okay, how many times is, have they been on retainer and just kind of like, you know, shrug their shoulders. And I get it. There's a lot of personal IEP 504 things that, you know, that are personal, but what about like teachers who are saying, Hey, let's try this. You know, how did South Dakota get to building you know, within their, their school from within, you know, like those are, maybe we should start asking that question. Who's your lawyer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because that's what I took from it. I, I was truly amazed by the entire conversation about how open she was and understanding. And then also like, like, you know, Michael was saying like, you know, really strategically doing what he does, but there's also the other question you asked was where, you know, where do most of these ideas come from, right? And I think maybe Michael was a little bit of an anomaly. I mean, I think there's a lot of great people out there like him who are creating these great answers because they're not in the box. But Patricia said there's a lot of teachers who are coming up with these ideas and then immediately, you know, somehow it gets cut off, but it is the right people. So maybe we've uncovered a new disrupt education area with beginning with your legal teams. I think we definitely have. And I think we also learned that the other way to move things through is to get industry involved. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're, if you're a teacher who has an idea and you are you, maybe you're not in a building that, you know, you're going to get wild support. It is, it did seem like being strategic, partnering with the right people, going and doing your due diligence on like looking up other places that have done something similar or exactly what you want to do and finding that partnership is going to probably give you the legal street cred mm -hmm. or whatever, you need to be disruptive. Right. And that's not necessarily an area that I would have thought would have been like the strategy to, to go about to disrupt an area in the school building. So extremely eye-opening to realize that there is power and, and it's not necessarily from where you thought it was going to be. I mean, like we talk about industry, we talk about these alternative options for, for schools and to get kids thinking about alternative options beyond the traditional model, the traditional go to school, go to college, get a job. Mm -hmm. We had lots of those conversations, 
but like now we're digging into these these movers and shakers who are doing these awesome programs i'm always wondering why we don't have them you know more across the u.s but that's a whole nother issue Mm -hmm. but you know now it's like digging into like well how did they get started how did they move through the school districts or whatever roadblocks they encountered and to your point of like it really does matter on who is on your local school board and the legal team industry local leaders you know it it does seem like maybe oh you know if you want to really get something started like it might take more people at the table but the i think working that way knowing what your community needs you're so much more likely to be set up for success when you want to do something disruptive i'm going to throw an andy pass imagine if I like that. I'm going to throw an Andy pass. It works right there. And Andy, if you're listening, thank you so much for imagining. Um, The imagination of each state, because there's a federal level, but like each state coming up with innovative lawyer teams, educational lawyer teams that are sharing out ideas. And here's why. Because every thing that is done in a school that is new or whatever usually is run through a legal team, right? Like it's gotta be, it's gotta be, you gotta check the boxes for state curriculum, uh, local curriculum, uh, local laws, state laws, et cetera. Federal laws, you know, Patricia hit on that pretty well with like the two tests or the, the tests that they, you have to give uh, a couple of times in a student's career. Um, but beyond that, you know, the ESSER funds and things like that. But like, what are the state things? You know, we have Perkins grants. We have all these different things that are federal. Some of them are state, et cetera. It's got to go through lawyers. So imagine if each state or even if states were reciprocal, or had the same kind of laws or whatever. You got these groups. And here's a challenge for educational legal teams out there, right? Why not market yourself like this? Like if you're really not going to be the person that's going to sit out there and say, ah, just settle and like, we'll move on and we're just going to stay on retainer because it's very easy to do that. It's very easy to do that as a teacher, right? It's like, ah, I'm going to take attendance a day and give worksheets. I mean, there, you know, people do it. I'm not, you know, I don't like it. I'm pretty sure like the students don't like it, but, yep. um, you know, so I'm not just picking on lawyers here. I'm picking on like anybody who's not being like innovative or actually moving forward. They're just, they're comfortable. Um, and then like, just market yourself that way. Imagine if that happened because Patricia is really digging deep into like New Jersey, like that's her state and that's Michael's state as well. So even though they didn't work together, they knew each other and they knew something around education that, that was innovative, that, that happened. It's interesting. Imagine that. It's very, it's interesting. I like the, the imagine if, because that is really how you disrupt education is Mm -hmm. by taking the imagination and, uh, and taking action on it. But if you're so stuck in autopilot, if you're not like if the system has beat you down, so to speak, and you're in that kind of 
the retainer mode, right? Like whether, you know, whatever you wanted to find that in, where you're just checking the box. I don't care if you're a student, a teacher, a custodian, somebody working on the school, any level, like you can, there's always new innovative ways to do things. Mm-hmm. The, the other piece to this that I think was really, really strategic and it speaks to, man, how many laws there are. And we, like, mm-hmm. it, I'm sure Patricia only got to like surface level of this, but mm-hmm. right. When Maplewood shop with Mike was trying to get this into schools, they had to fit it into the current box with, mm-hmm. with like teacher contracts. Right. So yeah. there's like a huge legal side that I wouldn't have even have thought that like, you want to bring something new and innovative into school. Well, the number one pushback might be your teachers because they're like, I don't want more work. Yep. And so to Patricia's side, like if you can get those, those key stakeholders and people who want to innovate, they're not on retainer, right? You're going to be able to move a project forward. And so that like, is it better to do top down or from the bottom up? And it's like, teachers do get drowned in and in constant curriculum changes and schedule changes and and all of these policy changes every year that they have to work in their already maxed out experience. Mm -hmm. So there is this opportunity for school districts to one, provide more space for teachers to have more innovation. And then for policy lawyers legal side i don't know what level it needs to go at for them to create Mm -hmm. more flexibility in these contracts which i know are like such a hot topic um they really are like wow we're not even going to dive down that rabbit hole but like they really are we have on previous episodes talked about it somewhat just it's so contentious because teachers are literally fighting tooth and nail to not get some more stuff added, mm-hmm. right? So right. if we could remove stuff from mm-hmm. their plates and create opportunities where they feel like they don't have to be on retainer, they have, they're creative people, right? They, they want to teach, they want to, you know, do these innovative opportunities, but we have to, as a society, in order to really disrupt education on a larger scale, we're going to have to, we're going to have to eliminate and a, a, and create more flexibility because yes, where there's a will, there's a way, but that way could be really complicated and requires minds like Patricia and Mike. And not everybody has a Patricia and Mike in their, in their back pocket. Right. Yeah. Right. So there's so much opportunities. Like you're saying, like if you're in the educate, if you're in the lawyer legal side, like you have a lot of opportunities. If you're in the educational side, you have a lot of opportunities and these partnerships to move things forward. And I really think also, you know, who has the best opportunity to make rapid change are small school districts. Yeah. Rural 100%. school districts. Ones that are not fully corporate, um, that are, have, you know, like 10 high schools or, you know, mm-hmm. 5,000 kids in a building. Like, I mean, if you, if you are in a smaller school district and you want change and like, you have so much more power than you think you do because everything moves faster in those types of environments, the bigger the organization, the longer stuff takes. And those are things for people, I think, to consider 
if you are looking for a job, if you are trying to create new opportunities, yeah. if you are feeling like you don't have room to do these types of things, there are places that can innovate and talking more with people like Patricia and Mike and other people doing awesome work. Cause we've had hundreds of guests mm-hmm. um, who are doing that type of work. That's where you have your own kind of ability to to move and find those innovators, charismatic leaders, people who want to do stuff differently because these places exist. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, along with that, it is, I think it's, it's why do, why do teachers burn out? Right. Is because they don't feel like they have control or they don't have the sandbox or they feel overrun. Um, And I've always been a fan of like Google's 20% project. Um, Is there ways, imagine if I'm going to throw another Andy pass, I'm going to use that a lot because I like Andrew Pass. Like he did such a great job. So I'm throwing an Andrew Pass. Imagine if, um, you know, we allowed teachers who are innovative, who wanted to be innovative, uh, who want to be innovative, um, the time to do that. Right. And this is really reflecting off what you just said. But like, imagine if we gave you know, the seat time was still there for students, yet it was an innovative day. Like it was a work day for students, um, but it was also a work day for teachers. I mean, we've kind of done this with like PLCs and we have a teacher work day. I don't think it's enough. I think it's a, it's a, and like, like a, a day during the school week or a couple of days during a month or however you can put it in there legally and have, teachers and students and admin all just working instead of just like these off one-off committees like let's get deep like let's get deep into like each class like what can we do to make this class better like what are the things that you expected coming into this class we the state says or the district says you have we have to do this so how can we do this better i found in business courses and I'm sure you've seen it in in science courses. It's amazing what students come up with and you try little things and you gain a lot. So you can put them right back into curriculum after these conversations and they will actually perform better because now they feel like they have a little bit of skin in the game. Like they've, they've kind of thought, or, you know, it's not a hundred percent, but in my experiences, it's been more. So, you know, like you said, like giving these spaces, for innovative people, you know, to work. And yeah, I mean, there is that rabbit hole of unions and unions sometimes do stifle innovation. I mean, you know, there's good things and bad things. Sometimes they actually push for it, right? So I think understanding like what you said, when you're looking for a gig, um, you know, maybe you do want to ask about what innovative projects have have been here, like truly innovative product projects. Um, what is the legal team like? I think that's an interesting question. I've never thought about asking, a, you know, if I'm going for a teacher job somewhere or an administrative job, what, what is a legal like team look like here? Are they innovative? Are they, do they find ways to get things done or do they not? And I don't know if you can get that real answer, but you know, that's, 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 these are great questions you're bringing up. Allie. I, I think it's worth asking. Um, and the stats that we got just from Maple Woodshop with mm. which you wouldn't expect right. from Woodshop, you know, Mike <laughs> talked about social emotional. Mike's, Mike's a spreadsheet guy though. <laughs> 
<laughs> he is. But, you know, the I feel like he was checking all the boxes that uh, a school district would want to hear if they were trying to bring in innovation, which he did say, like, we're on like a second stage now because we have the data and I'm sure it's his spreadsheet background that helped him collect that data. Right. Like so smart and strategic, like, but he didn't have that on the front end. And we've talked about like, you don't, we don't need more data, like to get something started, we can be innovative and, and then get and because we I just think it's we, we overcomplicate what's good for kids and yeah. we know in our hearts what's good for kids and and what disrupting education looks like feels like you you know it when you see it and but sometimes to get a wider a wider group of people behind you you do have to really be strategic and show all of the benefits of a program like wood shop class for all at all levels. Right. Cause right. When, when, when I presented who was going to be the guest of this podcast, you were like a lawyer and a wood shop <laughs> teacher are going to be to guests together. Mm-hmm. Kind of through Peter, you for a loop myself as well, yeah. because we were like, these things don't go together but yet they have to go together in the system that we have. So disrupting education, I think being more knowledgeable about the system and like, to your point, like me and you both learned so much Mm -hmm. and then it makes you wonder what else don't I know? What else do I need to know? Because in order to innovate, you can innovate better. And the, the best businesses who capture, you know, uh, the masses were prepared they yeah. were strategic. They waited for their time. They got the data. They got the things in place so that at the right moment, they could swoop in and do that. And I think innovation requires your early adopters, but it does require that strategy as well uh, in order to make it long-term and, and grow. Yeah. And if that's what we want people to do and to really disrupt the traditional school model, you're playing a long game. Yeah. And playing the legal game. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the legal. I think, uh, you know, my final thought here is is just summing it all up. I think we're coming back into like the flexibility of getting to a place um, and having the right team. I think Michael put it the best. Um, Patricia said it as well, like putting the right team together, understanding what what you want your students to kind of go through. Um, and then, you know, being flexible of how to get there, um, knowing that your way isn't going to be the only way. Um, there are ways that the law says you can't do. Um, there are laws that say you can do, um, which we don't really look at those all the time. So I think for me, yeah, that's the main thing that I'm going to take away, uh, from, from these two. And even this conversation here, a lot of imagination. So much imagination. Well, this has been another amazing episode. Uh, I'm going to take us out here. All right, let's for go. For Peter Host 
Drosser, I'm Allie Privet, and we'll catch you next time on the Disrupt Education Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Disrupt Education Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Are you ready to disrupt the educational arena you're a part of? For more ways to get involved in the work we do here at Disrupt Education, check us out at disrupteducation.co or find us on LinkedIn at Peter Hostrosser or Ali Privet. Our mission here is to help facilitate and amplify changes in the educational system through local initiatives and help you scale them into community movements. Our building network of disruptors in education are working to move beyond scores and grades as the only measure for student learning. If your school district, college, campus, or organization is looking for facilitators of this work, reach out on our website or social media. And if you have any thoughts or feedback on this week's episode or any episode, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep pushing the boundaries, taking risks, and most importantly, disrupting education.